Uh, we're in 1 Thessalonians, and I was hoping to finish chapter 3 this evening, but we're not going to. Uh, we'll have to deal with half of it tonight, and then when I'm back from my holidays, we'll finish uh, the other half. So we are looking at Paul, this great pastor, Mr. Great Hearts, and his response to Timothy's encouraging reports of the condition of the church in Thessalonica. And Paul says in verse 9, For what thanks, 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 9, For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day praying exceedingly, that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. That's where we finished off. Uh, Paul is uh, really rejoicing uh, because the Thessalonians are standing. That's all they're doing. They're still standing. Now, if you're still standing, give thanks to the Lord. And... Uh, we mentioned last time how, uh, looking at verses 9 and 10, implying from those two verses, how are we to continue standing? There's no point saying God is in complete control, therefore I'm going to leave it all to him to make me stand. Believing in God's sovereignty does not get rid of our responsibility. So God has given us means in order to strengthen us and this is what we're about as a church he's given us the word paul mentions the word in verses 9 and 10 god speaks to us in the word he feeds us with spiritual food god has given us prayer we speak to god in prayer it's not saying a prayer we are actually talking to our savior He's given us fellowship. Paul is talking about seeing them face to face, together. This is not something that the church decided as a committee we should do. Gather twice on a Sunday. No, no. Our Saviour, because he rose again on the first day of the week. The new creation is to be celebrated now. Not on the seventh day of the week, which is when the old creation rested but on the first day of the week when we remember something even greater than the old creation this is the day the lord has made this is the day satan was defeated and death and sin it's a day for celebrating and to have fellowship together it's that sense of occasion the lord has given us means neglect not the assembling of yourselves together Paul isn't interested in the details. What's important is that God has given us what we call means of grace. The word, not just private quiet times where we read the word on our own, but the public preaching of the word, the praying of God's people. That's what the church did when they came together. They came together in order to hear the word opened. They came together in order to pray together to their saviour. They came together, taking the Old Testament as our cue, to sing 
God's praises. What a God we have who has given singing to us. We've got something worth singing about, haven't we? If you enjoy other kinds of music, as I do, uh, then, you know, it's all right, isn't it? Singing about, I don't know, uh, falling in love and um, about um, living in this uh, fallen world. But this is something even more glorious, uh, to sing about a living saviour and to gather together as a family. Now, we will not continue standing unless we give ourselves to these means of grace. We don't become legalistic, but we do use the means that God has given us. It's very sad. I ended last time by mentioning this book, an excellent little book by a young man, Jonathan Landry Cruz, on worship. It's so sad that worship has become a matter of controversy. Worship wars. That's not what worship is about. Uh, what we're doing tonight, they're so simple, aren't they? Uh, who uh, would have thought of just a group of people meeting together and singing praises to God and hearing a book that's been around for nearly 2,000 years, being read and being opened, and then talking to an invisible being, and then uh, sitting for, I don't know how long, not too long, hopefully, <laughs> to hear that word being opened. But these are God-given things, simple things. But God, by his Spirit, uses them, doesn't he? Uh, and Landry Cruz, he doesn't make worship into something controversial. He just draws on that sense of occasion. Think of a day you look forward to, maybe when you were young. It was Christmas Day. Uh, make Sunday into... Uh, an important day. Uh, may our week revolve around the Lord's day. Uh, this is what one man says, uh, Cruz quotes from him. Even if we are lifelong Christians, as most of us are, we forget why we come to church on Sunday until it all happens again. We come in with our shallow scripts that are formed out of the clippings in our imaginations from the ads and celebrities of the last week only to be introduced or reintroduced to our real script. That's what we're coming to. We've been in the world, haven't we? We've been bombarded with the world's way of thinking. Um, I was watching a program last night and this program was talking about how leaders, if they repeat a phrase often enough in a speech, people begin to believe it. And we've been in the world all week and we've had certain things drummed into us, whether we like it or not. And what we're coming to do this day is forget about the week and we're coming to readjust our minds to the word of God. And we are being not bombarded. That's not the right word, is it? Well, I hope it's not being bombarded. Uh, I, hope, I hope you're not being bombarded. But to be exposed to the word of God. In that hymn, we were supposed to end three times with, Yet not I, but Christ in me. Don't we need to hear that? In a world that emphasizes you are sufficient, it's you, your strength, your ideas, your ways. 
We need to have that readjusted. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Yet not I, but Christ in me. May we have that thrill at being together in God's house. May we call the Lord's day our delights. And may worship be the jewel, not the missing jewel, but the reclaimed jewel in the life of our church. Now then, what we're going to look at this evening is Paul closes this part by doing what he's mentioned, verses 11 to 13. What is Paul doing here? Let's read verses 11 to 13. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Paul prays. It's one of the shortest prayers of Paul. If you want some homework over the summer holidays, in Paul's letters, study Paul's prayers. They are brilliant. Don Carson has got a book about spiritual reformation, which is based on studying Paul's prayers. And all I want to do tonight, we looked at prayer last time, and we emphasized that the apostles, uh, they ordained deacons to look after Everything else, more or less, in the church, the uh, running of the church, the uh, apostles didn't run the church, the elders shouldn't be running the church, me and Andy and the elders shouldn't be running this church, we want to give that to church council, so that we, do you know what I'm about to say? We will give ourselves, addict ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. We sometimes don't have enough time in elders to pray because we're doing the deacon's work. May we, who are pastors and elders, give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Myself and Andy set apart to minister the word and the eldership set apart to look after us as a congregation. Now then, let's look at what we can learn about prayer. Don't you feel like uh, I'm an infant in the school? I feel like an infant in the school of prayer. I haven't got beyond reception. Don't you feel like that? May we learn something from this great man of prayer. You know, it's how we are on our knees that says what we're like ultimately. If we're big on our knees, that's all that counts. Now, what can we learn? I want to bring four things, four lessons about prayer from Paul's prayer, and we'll only do two this evening. Uh, the first is this. What can we see here about prayer? Incidentally, it's a long introduction, I know. Paul mentions praying night and day for the Thessalonians, right? So Paul is in Corinth when he's writing this. So there are huge problems in the church in Corinth. So Paul is definitely praying for the church in Corinth, but he's still got time, night and day, to remember the Thessalonians. 
It can't mean that he's 24-7 on his knees. That can't be the case. Paul, whatever he's doing, he's sending a prayer to God for his brothers and sisters in Thessalonica. He is interceding in that way. Now then, the two lessons I want us to look at this evening. The first is this, and I really want us to put these things into practice. I know I've had some people say to me, Pastor, we are going light in not having a Bible study on the Monday night. Well, I hope not, because we're combining the Bible study with a prayer meeting, and we're not cutting down. We're not cutting down. But in one sense, it's better not to have a Bible study on the Monday night because we have more time to take in what has been preached on the Sunday and seek to put it into practice. How easy it is for us to hear two sermons on a Sunday and then, if we're having a Bible study on the Monday, to forget about what we've heard on the Sunday. So the first lesson, and these are things we need to put into practice, is Paul is Trinitarian in his prayer. Oh dear, you say. It's too hot to consider subjects like that. Hang on. Look at the prayer. Did you notice certain things? Now may, verse 11, our God and Father himself. So God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. And our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Now if it's Trinitarian, it's got to include the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And I don't see the Holy Spirit there, do you? I don't see the word Trinity there. And that doesn't mean it's not Trinitarian. But the Holy Spirit is mentioned. If you look at verse 12, verse 12, what does Paul say? May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another. Which person of the Trinity makes us increase and abound in love to one another? The longer prayer I read, Paul wrote many of these letters around the same time. Uh, 1 Thessalonians was his earliest letter. But if you look at Ephesians chapter 3, the prayer that we had in our reading, Paul develops some of these themes. And in Ephesians 3, he talks in verse 16 about being rooted and grounded in love. Who roots us and grounds us in love? It is through his Spirit, capital S, so the Holy Spirit isn't named in this prayer in 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 to 13, but he's implied. So Paul is praying in a Trinitarian way. He mentions God the Father, he mentions God the Son, and by implication, he mentions God the Holy Spirit. Now, do we pray in a Trinitarian way? We go into extremes, don't we? Um, I can remember when I was converted, uh, meeting big-hearted Christians, but they would only be praying to Jesus. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying to Jesus, but it lacks that balance. We may know of people, they hardly mention Jesus Christ in their prayers. It's just God. And there are some brethren we hold very dear. They are constantly praying to the Holy Spirit. 
Paul is balanced. Even if he doesn't pray to each person in turn, his prayer is full of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I think this is a lesson we can seek to put into practice in our own praying. Not that we are, as it were, ticking boxes when we're praying. Prayer is too awesome an activity to think of in that way. But may we grow in our praying and seek to involve the three persons of the Trinity. Now, normally, we come to the Father, we address the Father through Jesus the Son. Jesus has opened the way in the Spirit's power. So the Father is the one we normally speak to. But I see in Paul's prayers, I see it in the Psalms, and if you pick up a good hymn book, which are really prayers in effect, you will find prayers to Jesus Christ. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. And you have prayers to the Holy Spirit. Spirit of faith, come down. Uh, it's interesting here, if you look at the words, Paul prays to one God, doesn't he? He doesn't pray to several gods. In the Greek original, now may our God and Father himself, that's a singular word, and uh, apparently uh, he he may direct your way. A little later, the he there is singular. So Paul is praying to one God. But in that one God, he's distinguishing several persons. Don't ask me to explain it. Don't ask me. Can't. Where reason fails with all her powers their faith prevails and God adores. And notice as well that Paul puts Jesus on the same level as God the Father. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know about Athanasius? Have you heard of Athanasius? If I say some Latin, do you understand what I mean? Athanasius contramundum. Do you know what that means? Athanasius against the world. In the early church, there was a controversy about the person of Christ. A lot of believers were beginning to get a bit shaky as to whether Christ was 100% God. And they had a council, not a church, well, not like our church council, but a big gathering to discuss the theology. And it seemed as if uh, the council was going to sway towards Arius's view that Christ wasn't, wasn't quite divine. And Athanasius stood up. And Athanasius said in Latin, Athanasius contra mundum, Athanasius against the world. I so believe in the divinity of Christ, I'm willing to stand alone against all of you, if needs be. And do you know what verse Athanasius used to prove the divinity of Christ? The verse we're considering here. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you have a Jehovah's Witness come to the door, quote that verse to them. I don't think they will have been taught uh, that verse. Did you notice the first hymn we sang? Did you? I've got a good friend in West Wales, and he's learned most of his theology from the Welsh hymns. Can't do better than that. Isaac Watts. This is prayer and praise. We give immortal praise to who? To God the Father. 
the next verse. Not the Father now, but to God the Son belongs immortal glory to. And then the third verse. Who's being referred to there? To God the Spirit's name. And then the hymn ends, Almighty God, to thee be endless honour done, the undivided three and the mysterious one. So that's the first lesson we can learn. I want us to put this into practice. May we be Trinitarian in our praying. If we quote scripture in prayer, it helps make us pray like uh, the Apostle Paul prayed. What's the second lesson? Uh, Very quickly. Secondly, Paul prays for God to guide. Paul prays for God's guidance. The end of verse 11, that he may direct our way to you. When I was in university in the Christian Union, the two most popular topics of discussion were guidance and relationships. And even the guidance was on who should I marry? People were obsessed about the details of guidance. Am I going to have the right job? Am I going to marry the right person? Am I going to do this? Am I going to do that? I had one person say to me, I don't even buy a Christian book unless God tells me to buy it. I'm sorry, that guidance gone too far. Paul had talked in chapter 2 about Satan hindering, blocking the way. Paul wasn't able to visit the Thessalonians because of satanic hindrances. Now he prays that God may guide his steps to them. So what Paul is praying for is that God would clear the way, open the way. Now that's praying for guidance, isn't it? I think we've got a Big lesson to learn here. Do we really believe in God's sovereignty? We believe it in our heads. We are good. Many of us would say reformed evangelical Christians. That's good. But do we believe in our hearts that God is in complete control of absolutely everything? Can we say, as I said before the second hymn, all the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Whatever befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. All things work together for the good of them that love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Do we pray that God would guide us, not in terms of what book I should buy or what color socks I should put on, but do we really, in our hearts, look to the Lord to guide us? That's what Paul is talking about it's not about the details we get bogged down in the details when it comes to guidance it's an attitude of hearts lord lead me what did we used to sing uh, i've got a soft spot for this at the end of the service when i first came to the church we all used to sing unannounced i had the shock of my life the first time i came because i thought after the benediction Uh, we would all leave. But then everybody starts piping up, lead me, Lord, lead me in thy righteousness. It's not the details, is it? For it is thou, Lord, thou, Lord only, that makes me dwell in safety. It's the attitude. Listen, 
I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what decisions you may have to make. But I know this. If you set God first, if the desire of your heart is to do what God would have you do, you're on safe ground. Let me give you some verses here if you don't believe that. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Do you know these words? You should know them off by heart. Trust in the Lord with all your hearts and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and there's a promise he will direct your path so if we're not acknowledging him in all our ways if we are going against the word of God in some of our ways we can't be talking about guidance then we've got to put that right but if we are in our hearts seeking to do the will of God we will be guided in the way that he would have us go. Another verse from Proverbs. Commit your work and your way to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Proverbs 16.3. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. We do it the other way around, don't we? We make our plans we discuss our plans and we can discuss them in great detail and then just to make sure that they are all spiritual we add a prayer at the end but that's not what the author to proverbs is saying that's not what paul is writing about paul is saying lay your plans before the lord like hezekiah laying the letter that he received and bring these things to the throne of grace and ask God what he would have you do. That's very different, isn't it? Now, may we put these things into practice. May... There's a hymn. We, we didn't sing it tonight. We've got too many good hymns. It's impossible to choose. Thy way, not mine. O oh Lord, thy way, not mine. Whether as an individual, whether as a family, whether as a church, thy way, not ours. Let me give you a true story. Many years ago, I climbed Skur Alistair, as in Alistair Denton. Not, it's not named after you. But it's the Scottish Alistair. It's one of the most difficult mountains in the British Isles to get up. You need a rope. You need a rope. And I had my guidebook. I had my guidebook. So the route was there. And thankfully, we had a guide as well, an experienced mountaineer who had a rope with him just in case we needed it. And so we started on the way. So Paul is talking here, the Lord direct my way to you. And here we are we climbing one of the most difficult mountains in the British Isles. So we were starting on our way. And it looked easy. It looked a doddle. It was a lovely day. And we climbed halfway up and then we came to the bad step. Now that doesn't sound like much, but believe me, when you hear, hear the word bad steps in mountaineering literature, it means something pretty bad. And I thought, there's no way we can go forward. There's no way. But I would look at my guidebook, and the guidebook would say, there is a way, there is a way. 
And then, this is what I'm getting at, if I would have just had the guidebook, I would have given up. It looked impossible, but there was a guide, and that guide had been up it before several times, and that guide knew exactly where the handholds and where the footholds were. And so with our guidebook, we've got the Bible as our guidebook, and with our guide, we've got Jesus Christ as our guide. He knows the way he taketh. He's been here before. He can open up the sea if needs be. That's what he did to the children of Israel. If it looks impossible to us, it's not to him. And this is what we do. We take it step by step. Don't you sometimes want to see the big picture when it comes to guidance? I want to plan out my life for the next five, ten years, but it doesn't work like that. God doesn't lead like that. God leads us step by step. All the way, step by step, my Savior leads me. So like me with that guide in the coolings, I got to the summit of school, Alistair, because not only had I a guidebook, but I had a guide. And I had to put my trust in that guide. It's not easy, is it? You know, if you've been up mountains for a long time, it takes some humility to put your trust in another mountaineer. And we need to put our trust in our guide Paul trusted God implicitly. He trusted God like a child would trust his father. Do you know what? God did open the way, uh, just as that guide opened the way for us to get through that bad step to the summit. God opened the way for Paul to get to Thessalonica. Do you know how long? Five years later. Five years later. We're not good, are we, at waiting? We are really not good. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. I just want to finish uh, very quickly because I've already gone over time on this hot evening. I just want to give a few examples. It's not what we feel about something. It's not what we think about something. It's what God thinks. Take the obvious example, a church looking for a pastor. If a church is looking for a new pastor, a church is not looking for the person they would like, but for the person God would have. So our personal views and tastes don't come into it. It's what God wants, what God wants. What about serving the Lord in a church? What, what, uh, what about the things that I do in a church? Andy has been very helpful on a Wednesday evening talking about spiritual gifts. We don't just do things because they're to be done. We are here to serve the Lord, and we look at the way the Lord is leading us as a church. So sometimes the Lord ends certain things that a church does. And they've got to be left to die. But at the same time, the Lord opens the doors to other things. We were talking in the vestry now about the school's work. It's been going on for a long time, and it's wonderful. And we didn't go looking for that. We, I know we had Mark Fisher at the time, and we wrote a letter to the schools and the door. Richard described it in the vestry. We tried, we tried the door. And the Lord opened the door. And the 
door is still open wide. And that's God-given opportunity. We didn't go looking. We didn't go engineering for it. We give them a faithful gospel message. God has kept that door open. Isn't it wonderful? What about next door? We didn't plan to buy next door. When the bookshop was up the road, and when next door was for sale, we, we, we didn't believe that we could buy it. But God uh, led us. And that didn't make it easy. We struggled. And it was not easy coming up with the money. But God, in the end, provided with a legacy which was nearly a million pounds. Can you see what I'm saying? If we put aside our interests, our plans, and humble ourselves under God and say, Lord, it's not me, it's not what we want, but it's what you want, and lead us in the way you would have us go, God will provide. Hudson Taylor said, God's work done in God's way will never, never be unprovided for. Uh, well, I've, I've got to come to a conclusion. I, uh, I'll, I'll be going on into the after meeting otherwise. Can I close with this? I've been helped by this little book of daily readings uh, from 2020, Grace for Troubled Times, daily readings in the COVID pandemic. And uh, we were reading with Paul in uh, the hospital uh, the other week, Psalm 121, the Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in. Isn't that lovely? If the Lord is leading us, he will look after our going out. And our, Are you afraid of coming back to church? I am, and COVID is on the rise. What a wonderful promise. The Lord shall preserve your coming in. Are you afraid of going out into the world? I am, with COVID on the rise as well. <laughs> the Lord shall preserve thy going out. Isn't it interesting? The word for preserve here, it's the idea of a thorn head that guards and gives protection to a garden or a house. When I lived in the manse, you'll find this in the back. There used to be, I don't know if it's still there, but there used to be like a thorn bush. And it was planted there to keep people who were thinking of climbing over the wall from coming in. But as Christians, as a church, the Lord has put a hedge around us. Not a thorn hedge in an unpleasant way, but we've got a sovereign protector what a wonderful, wonderful saviour. Let's finish there. It's too hot to carry on.